The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. Stocks trying to keep the record-breaking win streak alive as Jay Powell and company step up to the plate for their two-day policy meeting today. The crackdown in China heats up as Beijing targets industries it sees as a threat to equality, financial stability, and the government itself. And call it a crypto reversal. Bitcoin, Ether, Ripple, and more taking down a peg or two. After Amazon pushes back on reports, it's diving headfirst into digital payments. All charged up. Tesla reporting blockbuster quarterly results as profits soars to a record once again. And Intel rolling out a new roadmap with the aim of retaking the global chip-making crown from the likes of AMD, NVIDIA, and others. It is 2J, July the 27th, 2021. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Kicking off your Tuesday morning with U.S. stock futures pointing to some losses ahead of the opening bell. The Dow looks like it could open as, as more than 150 points lower when the opening bell happens. Not too long from now, the Nasdaq and the S&P also both down, but fractionally in reality. Stocks coming off another record session with all three major averages trading in record territory and all trying for their sixth straight day of gains. Plenty of economic data for investors to chew on this morning. We're talking June durable goods out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. The May S&P Shiller out at 9 a.m., followed by July consumer confidence at 10. But the big econ story of the day, well, that has to be Jay Powell and the Fed kicking off a two-day policy meeting today. Early indications, they at least suggest the bank will reiterate that tapering is still a ways off pending data over the next several months. And your stock of the day, well, has to be Tesla. Quarterly profits soaring to a record $1.1 billion. The company now in the black for eight straight quarters. We see the stock up more than a percent and a half this morning. This despite supply disruptions and a huge hit from Bitcoin-related losses. Much, much more on Tesla coming up. But then I've got to turn our attention now overseas. Europe's trading day already well underway. Our own Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom with much more. Good morning, Juliana. Frank, good morning. So we're off to quite a weak start here in Europe. We actually saw the stock 600 open about 1% lower. We bounced off the lows, though, so now the stock 600 not quite as negative as we were at the start of the session. This follows a very weak handover from Asia. The Hang Seng over in Hong Kong plunging overnight as China continues with its regulatory crackdown. So sentiment here in Europe seems to have been hit somewhat by that weak handover and the worries that have come with the uh, regulatory crackdown on 
uncertainty as to what may come next. It's also a big earnings day here in Europe, and we've had a number of significant individual stock moves. So I hope we'll have a look for you. Uh, we can, can show you the individual movers, and we have seen some significant moves to the downside in particular this morning. And I want to just highlight for you two stocks that are in focus from an earnings perspective. Kicking off with LVMH, sales at the French luxury giant surged past expectations in the second quarter. Key brands such as Dior, Louis Vuitton, and Fendi drove an 84% increase in revenues over the quarter as the group expanded its market share. The stock is trading higher in Paris. Quite a stellar quarter for LVMH. A different story for Reckitt Benckiser, which is one of the worst performing stocks in Europe this morning. Reckitt shares near the bottom of the stock 600. And this after the British consumer group narrowly missed sales forecasts for the second quarter as the reopening of some of its key markets led to shifting demand for certain products. So uh, a cautionary tale for investors that we can see pretty substantial moves if you do miss expectations. But by and large, the earnings season so far in Europe has been pretty strong. So that's the picture here in Europe this morning. Frank, we'll hand it back over to you. Juliana, thanks for that. And did, did you say Louis Vuitton? Is that what you said? Is that the European pronunciation? <laughs> I know you're Vuitton. from Boston, but you've been over there for a while. Louis Vuitton. I'm working on, I'm working on my French pronunciation, but I definitely have room to grow. Well, that might be the right way. Don't go by me. I know no French. Juliana Tattlebaum <laughs> with the latest from over in Europe. We appreciate it. All right. Turning our attention now to some of this morning's other top stories. The price of Bitcoin and other major crypto cryptocurrencies pulling back pretty sharply after Amazon denied a report. It is looking into accepting Bitcoin as a payment by the end of this year. Now, Bitcoin had briefly topped $40,000 yesterday for the first time since June. BlackRock's Larry Fink, Blackstone, Stephen Schwartzman and Morgan Stanley's James Gorman are among a number of CEOs writing a letter to congressional leaders yesterday, urging them to push forward and pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill. That letter, signed by more than 140 executives, comes as Senate infrastructure talks. They suffered a setback yesterday. Republicans rejected an offer meant to address all outstanding issues from the White House and Democrats, calling into question goals of passing a $579 billion measure before Congress's August recess. And shares of Chinese tech companies are in the crosshairs for investors once again this morning as Beijing's broad-based regulatory crackdown shows no signs of slowing down. Technology and education shares falling for a third straight day as of yesterday's close. The five largest U.S. listed constituents of the KWEB Chinese Internet ETF, Alibaba, Pinduoduo, JD, NetEase and Badu, they've combined, uh, they've lost a combined $184 billion in market value since the start of just this month. This is SEC officials are now calling on Chinese companies listed on U.S. stock exchanges to disclose the risk of the Chinese government interference. All right, let's stick with this story and head out to our Eunice Yoon. Eunice, it would at least seem that Beijing is really trying to rein in any private entity that it sees as a threat to its authority. That is a concern. And Frank, right now I'm in a part of Beijing that is called Haigian, and it's known for its strong school district as well as its plethora of after-school tutoring companies. In fact, I'm in front of one of them that has a sign on it. It is after school, but there are no kids here. And that's because it is closed. And this is one of the many schools that we visited in this area that have, been, uh, have the same notices up saying that uh, they are, are shut um, with no idea when they're going to resume classes. Uh, a lot of the schools that we were talking to that were open said that they are in survival mode. And what does that mean? One of them said that they've rebranded itself. Um, they're now offering calligraphy classes, uh, coding, 
arts, drama. So these are non-core classes outside of the public school curriculum. Other schools, uh, many of them, were offering online classes, especially one-on-one -on -one private tutors. So teachers who could either teach you at home or teach you online. Uh, then finally, um, we found that there were some that were talking about switching to teach adults and working with corporations to try to switch into that line of business. So there were some of the bigger companies, such as TAL, uh, which did have classes here. Their centers of staff said that they haven't been noticed yet uh, to shut things down, and that was uh, much to the, to, to the uh, relief of a lot of the parents that we spoke to who have been frustrated, they said, with this policy because of the lack of clarity. Uh, some of them, even though they said the policy, the, um, the goal to bring down costs is a noble one, but that they're worried that this is eventually going to lead to uh, less choice for them. And in fact, uh, some of these private schools um, were offering those one-on-one -on -one classes for four times the price that these uh, parents would be able to get put their kids in for just the regular classes. So, in, you know, not only are parents worried, but investors are too. We saw that in the stock market. The education stocks got hammered today. Property stocks also. What's interesting was that consumer names as well as medical names also got hammered, and a lot of that is because investors here, Frank, are just wondering which sector is going to be hit by Beijing next. So because of that uncertainty, uh, people were uh, just uh, rumoring, you know, just listening to rumors and getting very, very nervous. Yeah, Eunice, uncertainty definitely impacts investors all across the world. Um, I can understand why we do so in China, along with the parents, their concern. Big question here, is China doing anything to try to help ease any of these investor fears? Well, what was interesting is that today there were um, several state media outlets that were attempting to reassure investors here that things were going to be fine. In fact, uh, one of the Communist Party papers, the Securities Times, um, had an interesting um, headline uh, saying that, uh, that uh, this is the time to buy on the dips. There was a Shanghai paper as well that said that there is no systemic risk in China. And then finally, the Securities Daily had uh, um, a piece out about how the fundamentals of the economy are sound. So an attempt, um, maybe a heavy-handed one, to try to reassure investors, despite the fact that these crackdowns and regulatory uh, uh, clampdowns are, are making people quite, quite nervous. All right, thanks a lot, Eunice. Uh, investors certainly concerned that KWEB ETF down about 23% just over the last week. We appreciate that report. All right, back home. Futures certainly on edge as well amid the latest in China. This is the Fed kicks off a two-day policy meeting. Investors also waiting results from the likes of Apple, Alphabet, and many other big tech names. Joining me now is Delano Sapporo, founder and financial advisor at New Street Advisors. Delano, thanks for waking up early with us. Thank you, Frank. Good to be here. So I know that you are very bullish on mega cap tech names. We're looking ahead at a lot of big earnings. We're also looking at a situation where there's rising cases of that Delta variant. How do you view tech investing, especially those big tech names in this current environment? Yeah, yeah, Frank, I think, one, for investors, it's a great area to be in in general for your portfolio. And then, as we saw last time during the raging throws of during our worst stages of lockdown, it was obviously a great place uh, for investors to be uh, for that stay-at-home play when it came to some of the stay-at-home plays. But I think for right now, you know, we saw earnings be really, really strong for investors, and that's one of the big things that the market was banking on, and it's to come through right now. You just mentioned Tesla's earnings at $1 billion, the highest 
their bottom line has been, I think we've ever seen. And so I think for investors, you really want to look for those high margin businesses that are tech enabled, that can shift the management that's able to you know, withstand a lot of different things that may come to the market, like you mentioned, the, the possible variance being the biggest possible threat we're seeing right now. You know, Delano, let's look back at those Tesla earnings. That wasn't just a beat. That was a blockbuster quarter for the electric vehicle maker. Way above estimates, way better than a lot of people expected. But looking ahead, we have a lot of other big cap tech names. Just generally, these last quarter or so, beats just haven't been good enough. We haven't seen great performance after a beat. How big of a beat do we need to see from these companies to see the kind of performance we're seeing from Tesla? Those shares up in the pre-market more than a percent and a half this morning. That's a great question. I think, you know, for all investors and, and just for the general market, um, a lot of the expectations for a lot of the expectations that we're seeing from analysts is, is that companies are outdoing them. So I think investors are really looking for a little bit more of a catalyst to drive forward. You know, markets are already at highs and, and the valuations are stretched. So to see, you know, you know, stocks to rise a lot, lot further based on some different beats is going to be difficult because we're already, you know, pushing a lot of highs for a lot of companies. I think around 70, 60, 70 percent of, you know, uh, your companies in the NASDAQ and the NY Stock Exchange are at, you know, pretty much high. So you're going to see a lot of those different things. But I think for generally, markets are in great shape. If you're long the market right now, you've been in good shape. Right now is to be able to shift and be ready to play defensive in areas that you may need to, to, to combat certain things in the market. You know, speaking of combating certain things in the market, we've heard as crypto is a hedge against inflation. We heard of it as a stored value. I know you have a lot of younger customers, people who have generally been a little bit more exuberant about crypto than some more established investors. Um, With all the news we're seeing with crypto, first, Amazon may be taking it. It jumps. Then Amazon's like, wait a minute. And we see right now Bitcoin's down more than six and a half percent. Ethereum down almost seven and a half percent. What are you telling your clients about cryptocurrency investing and holding versus trading in this current environment? Great, great question. The one thing we are telling them is, one, you know, the way we approach it for clients is when we're only investing in things and tokens uh, that we've researched. We're only investing in tokens that we research and understand. And we only invest... Uh, primarily for in that area for the long term and not sort of a trade um, that's uh, anticipated or speculating different things that are maybe seen in the market. As you, as you said, you know, Amazon pulled back on saying that they're not accepting as payments right now, but there was the, the rumor floating around about a different job board or different things they're looking for an executive in that, in that area. So you want to really look at the actual underlying projects and understand if there's something that's viable, something that has use case uh, beyond, you know, what, what is just something that was similar, a trade of some sort. So that's how we're doing it. A lot of clients, as you mentioned, are looking for that long-term viability, that long-term hedge, whether it's a risk inflation hedge or just a general bullishness on the, the use case and the, the being used as a payment network as far as, far as BTC goes or different things, decentralized apps as far as Ethereum. There, there's so much that's going on in that space, but we kind of look at it as a long-term play, and that's what a lot of our clients are looking for as well. All right, Delano, we appreciate it, man. From New Street to Wall Street to the crypto cul-de-sac, you got it all covered. We appreciate it. Thank you, Frank. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, much more on that developing situation in China as Beijing looks to crack down on sectors it perceives as a threat to its authority. Plus, nearly two years after first visiting America's only operating rare earth mine, our own Brian Sullivan follows up to see what has changed in the supply and the processing of some of the most critical elements in the entire world. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, 
Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. And welcome back. Time now for your big money movers for stock stories of the morning. First up, Lucid Motors. Shares are pulling back today after jumping 11% yesterday, the first day since the electric vehicle company merged with a SPAC, Churchill Capital. The companies first announced that deal back in February. Lucid plans to launch production of its first model, the Air, later this year. Next, F5 Networks, the firm which helps manage and deliver apps across large businesses, reporting better than expected third quarter results. Those were driven by the ongoing shift to digital during the pandemic. The company pointing to strong demand for software and systems. Stock number three, it's Coinbase. It's pulling back today after closing up more than 9% in yesterday's session. The crypto exchange moving higher as Bitcoin rallied above 40,000, partly on those reports that Amazon would start accepting payments this year, which the company later denied. Finally, Ameriprise Financial. Shares are lower, even as the company reported second quarter results that beat estimates. That was on record high client flows and gains in the market. Still on deck, another record-breaking quarter for Tesla in the books as Elon Musk looks to shake up earnings season in the months and the years ahead. The last time I'll do earnings calls, but this is the, I will no longer see defaults doing earnings calls. Uh, so, uh, obviously, I'll do the annual shareholder meeting, but um, I think uh, going forward, I, I will um, most likely not be on earnings calls unless there's something really important that, um, that I need to say. Big announcement from Elon Musk. We'll tell you what Granite's Tim Lesko has to say about that and much more when Worldwide Exchange returns. Today's big number. billion. That's how much blockchain startups raised in the second quarter, according to data from CB Insights, a new record. That's an increase of over 50% from the prior quarter. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on-brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back. Representatives from the Defense Department went out to the California desert yesterday. The goal was to visit the MP Materials Rare Earth Mine. It's a mine that produces key minerals for both commercial and military use and a facility the government recently invested a few million dollars in. As of right now, we still rely on China for important parts of the process. That's something President Biden is hoping to cut down on. Our Brian Sullivan is there. <laughs> 
Frank, Department of Defense officials visiting the mine on Monday, a mine they put nearly 10 million taxpayer dollars into. Why? Because they want to shore up the supply chain for critical rare earth minerals that come out of this facility. MP materials publicly traded, by the way, the only facility of its kind operating now in the United States. What they mine here ultimately goes into critical magnets for use in all kinds of military technology, Teslas, renewable energy, MRI machines, you name it. It probably comes from the minerals mined here. What are these tanks we're looking at? This is the processing facility the company says will open up next year because currently, Frank, they've got to send all the raw materials all the way to China, which could be viewed as a security or supply chain risk. And we asked the DOD officials here on Monday why the minerals in a mine like this are so critical to national security. These magnets are embedded in a lot of different military systems. Um, for example, in aircraft, they will be part of many, many different subsystems. And the real importance of these magnets is that because of the powerful sort of magnetic properties, they allow you to have lightweight materials. If you had to replace the, the rare earth magnets with, say, more classic iron-based uh, materials, you, they would be so heavy and so bulky. So for things like laser guidance systems for missiles to the air pods you walk around with in your ear, so much of it comes from the raw materials from this MP materials mine, which soon to have the processing facilities opened up. Still a lot of challenges, still a lot of money floating around all day on CNBC. We're gonna talk about the challenges, the opportunities, and maybe even some of the hidden winners of the rare earth renaissance. And that was Worldwide Exchange's Brian Sullivan. Much more of his coverage throughout the day right here on CNBC. All right, let's get a check of this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the very latest. Hi, Frank. Good morning to you. We are just hours away from the first hearing for the bipartisan House Select Committee to investigate the deadly January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. The first witnesses will be police officers who suffered vicious assault as they sought to protect the complex and lawmakers on that day. Speaker Nancy Pelosi has appointed Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger of Illinois to join Republican Liz Cheney and seven Democrats to investigate the attack by Trump supporters who wanted to stop the process of certifying President Joe Biden's win. As the Delta variant fuels a new surge in COVID cases, health officials have confirmed that booster shots could be needed for Americans 65 and older and for those with compromised immune systems. And at the urging of the FDA, Pfizer and Moderna are expanding the size of their vaccine studies in children ages 5 to 11. This is a precautionary move amid very rare reports of heart inflammation in younger Americans. And watch this video out of Texas. Hundreds of people reported seeing this fireball streaking across the night sky. Experts believe it may be part of the Perseid meteor shower expected to peak next month. So, Frank, those are your headlines. We send it back to you now. Thanks a lot, Francis. When we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, big tech on deck. We break down what you can expect from the likes of Amazon, Apple, and many others. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Big Papa Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And we will be right back. Stock's win streak looking at risk this morning after all three indices hit new records. This morning, those futures, as you can see, they're in the red. The big tech earnings train rolling on today after Tesla hits a major milestone with its results. We lay out what to watch from Apple, Google, and Microsoft. 
And China's continued crackdown on big tech once again, hammering the overall markets there. As Beijing expands the scope of its regulatory ramp up, it is Tuesday, July the 27th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back. I'm Frank Hollinan for Big Papa, Brian Sullivan. Let's get a check on your Tuesday morning money about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour, at least here in New York City. Stock futures pointed some losses ahead of the opening bell. The Dow looks like it could open well about 180 points lower. We see the S&P and the Nasdaq also in the red. The Nasdaq, the least impacted, down about a quarter of a percent, at least in the future, still four hours before the opening bell. Stocks coming off another record session with all three major averages trading in record territory and trying at least for their sixth straight day of gains. Again, those futures in the red. Outside of stocks, the price of Bitcoin and other major cryptocurrencies pulling back pretty sharply. After Amazon denied a report, it's looking into accepting Bitcoin as a payment by the end of this year. Bitcoin had briefly topped $40,000 yesterday for the first time since June on that report. Now let's get more of your morning's other top stories. Adtherent is reportedly nearing a combination with a SPAC to take that company public. According to the Wall Street Journal, the firm would merge with MCAP acquisition and a deal that would value the advertising tech company at about $1 billion. The journal points out that the deal, which could come as soon as this week, would follow other companies in the sector going public as consumers spend more and more time online and brands place a bigger focus on digital advertising. Facebook is taking steps towards creating CEO Mark Zuckerberg's vision for a digital universe. The tech giant announcing it will form a product team to work on the quote-unquote metaverse It's a concept related to VR and AR involving the creation of digital worlds that multiple people can inhabit at the very same time. Facebook joins the likes of Apple, Google and Amazon, as well as Microsoft, with an increased focus on VR and AR technologies. And Intel is is vowing to regain its role as a lead chip maker by 2025 with a brand new strategy. The company says it plans to increase innovation and alter the approach to measuring progress in chip production, it argues the current system gives competitors like Taiwan Semi and Samsung an unfair advantage. As part of this new strategy, Intel has also signed up rival Qualcomm as a manufacturing customer, along with Amazon. All right, more tech. Tesla really topping expectations with his second quarter results. The company really wowing the street, reporting more than $1 billion in net income for the very first time. But the company's investment in Bitcoin resulting in a $23 million impairment dragging on its quarterly operating income. Let's really deep dive into these results with Tim Lesko, partner and portfolio manager at Granite Investment Advisors. Tim, thanks for waking up early. <laughs> thanks for having me. So, Tim, we're going to dig into those Tesla results. But first, let's talk about the results and also some news from that call. Elon Musk saying he's going to take a step back from the earnings calls in the future unless he has some big news. We saw great numbers, but we're also seeing something else that's been a driving force for Tesla. Elon Musk saying he's going to take a step back. How do you see that impacting the stock going forward? Well, I think it will be interesting. Every time we see a founder begin to step back, we often see uh, maybe more robust data coming out of the company. Elon's been a little bit of a wild card and at a time has created volatility in the stock. And if you want to create good long-term shareholders, creating a more stable earnings environment is not a bad way to start. Certainly, his tweeting has gotten him in trouble in the past as well. So we're seeing net income uh, increase pretty much by 10. What does that say to you, especially because a lot of that growth came from sales of lower price products that were sold with a price increase to increase the margin? 
Right. And I think what we're seeing out of Tesla is finally we're past that long stage of existential risk you had for a company that's really trying to do something so vastly different in the automotive business. And that is certainly going to draw investors in as they feel that some of that risk is gone. Um, and it's always been their goal to make cheaper cars and be the electric car for everybody. So we're not surprised to see that more and more of that revenue is coming from the, the less expensive cars. But in a period of time when cars are in such short supply, you're able to get a premium and able to sell more of the premium vehicles. So they're selling higher priced cheap cars, which yeah, is good. That automotive gross margin up to 28.4 percent higher than any of the last four quarters. Um, some news on the call that I thought was interesting. I actually covered the logistics sector that they're going to put off plans to produce that semi truck with logistics booming the way it is and demand for trucking the way it is. Do you see that as a, a good move because they're having great success with their passenger cars or a potential you know, negative move going forward as demand for those kind of commercial vehicles picks up? Well, I'm a big fan of simplicity in almost any business model. So continuing to make more of what you make money on currently is not a bad thing to do. I think as you add more and more complexity in a lower volume business that are semis, you're in semis, they're really trying to change the world, not be that profitable because just not that many semis are sold. So concentrate on the high volume things where you make 29 percent kind of margins. Well, obviously, Blockbuster earnings yesterday shares up here in the pre-market. Um, a lot of different factors today. We have the Delta variant. It's possible, you know, always possible for news to come out with that. Also, the Fed's two-day meeting, we could hear some commentary about at least them thinking about tapering, maybe even something stronger. Does that impact big tech stocks like Tesla today? Well, certainly big tech stocks are, are most affected by higher interest rates. Anybody doing a discounted cash flow model uh, on high-growth companies really sees that the future value of present earnings really get hammered in high-growth companies. So um, I, I think that that will affect companies like Tesla. But in the long run, if you continue to have those kind of margins, and you continue to see that kind of cash flow, you're really not going to be so worried about whether or not we're at 1.25% or 2% by year end. All right, Tim, let's switch gears a bit and talk about some other big tech earnings out today. A lot to talk about. Start off with Apple out after the bell. The company hasn't issued any formal guidance for over a year. So Outlook could be a key metric for investors this quarter how do you see the guidance situation, and what do you want to hear about shipments, 5G? Is there any other highlights from this call that you're expecting? Well, I think you, you hit a little bit on there where we've had earnings estimates that have been so low for a year. Companies have not been giving, giving guidance. So companies have been beating on revenue and earnings pretty handily, and I don't think we have any reason to expect that that's not going to continue uh, throughout big tech, particularly with Apple and Microsoft. Um, but what we're really looking at is what does the for, you know, how much of that was demand pulled forward? So will they give us guidance, uh, particularly on the Mac and the iPad side, where you had a shortage of them last year because everybody was buying a new computer for their home office? So it's been an interesting demand environment for the non-iPhone products. Um, iPhone, you really don't have a significant new technology coming this year uh, because they came out with a 5G phone last year. So they, there's rumor out there that they've ordered a significant additional number of iPhones for iPhone 13 as they expect high demand. And Apple does a pretty good job of knowing what the install base is and who needs to upgrade. So the, the future outlook is going to be very important. And then overlay that with the global chip shortage. Nobody controls their supply chain the way Apple does. They tend to have a lot of supply on hand. So the point at which that supply shortage starts to hurt them uh, might be a pretty big news for the stock. So we'll be looking for those kind of, you know, little hints in the earnings call today. 
You know, Tim, you really hit on some points that I found really interesting here. Um, we've seen the reports that Apple is ramping up their iPhone production, expecting 5G to be a growth driver. But as you mentioned, a lot of those phones were out last year. Does the reopening, um, the sense of the expansion, the reopening, people getting back out there, do you see that as a real driver for increased mobile phone sales? Because let's be honest, sometimes our iPhone is just a chance to show off. But if we're stuck in our house, we can't show off as much. Well, right. And, and you know, the, the other thing is, is, is people are talking about how maybe some areas of their business are going to be affected by reopening because people aren't sitting home on their iPad or on their, on their Mac. But certainly they're going to be out there with their phone. Uh, the phone has become something that people do not leave home without it. And they're going to continue to have the latest and greatest. Apple does suffer or benefit from the fact that they really have the high-end phone where people do care to have the latest version um, versus maybe the Android environment. Um, and taking pictures, traveling, those are really important aspects of phones. That uh, 10 years ago, you really didn't think the camera was, gonna, camera was going to matter as much as it does. So I do expect that they're going to continue to see strong demand for iPhones. And it has become such an integral part of our lives. I really don't see that changing until somebody figures out a different kind of commun communications device. Yeah, I don't see it changing either. And honestly, the, the camera might be the most important factor when I'm choosing a phone personally. Because right. uh, you can talk and, and watch movies on all of them. All right, let's talk right. about the and, and other two tech. content everywhere. Wait, what did you say? And you're consuming content everywhere as well. Yeah. And it and I mean, does that very well in a 5G environment. That camera's a differentiator, at least for me. All right, let's talk about the other two tech stocks set to report today. We're talking Alphabet and Microsoft. Cloud revenue, that's a key number to watch for both of these companies. And let's be honest, Microsoft's been the focus of a lot of the talk about cyber hacks that have been hitting the company. Um, what are you seeing for these two companies, especially when it comes to that cloud business? Well, certainly the cloud business is the growth driver for Microsoft. Um, you know, they've been in this process of transitioning their install base of, of you know, disk-based software or, or, you know, into this subscription service. And they continue to push through that. And, it's the, and that business has become so profitable and so recurring that as, that as Azure becomes the larger portion of Microsoft, you have a high-growth business that is recurring revenue. So it's a really a wonderful business for them at, at tremendous margins. Uh, and it's differentiated because they're the ones that really provide the communication side of business. And, um, you know, here we are communicating with one another on one of their products, and people use them every day cross-platform. And the most important thing for Microsoft is they finally realize that they need to deliver all these services cross-platform. It's happening everywhere. It doesn't matter whether you have a Mac, an Android, or a Windows machine, you're still using a cloud-based service from Microsoft. So it's really expanded the, the possibilities for Microsoft over time. And then on the Alphabet side, it's still largely driven by advertising. Um, you know, Before this piece, you were talking about a couple of SPACs that were merging in the advertising market talking about Facebook in the advertising market. That is what drives all of these free services. We're in a period of, of worry about inflation, food inflation, energy inflation, but most of the technology services we use, we get for free and are really aren't subject to those pressures of inflation. So those businesses will continue to grow pretty well. All right, Tim, let's go. We appreciate it. I appreciate the extra early wake up. A lot of people don't know you're out uh, scanning in Park City. So we really appreciate it. You have a great day. <laughs> All right, coming up, China's crackdown on big tech and beyond, taking a major toll on stocks and the overall markets there. We kind of pull back the curtain on what's driving Beijing to bring the hammer down on these homegrown titans. But first, as we head to break, some of your other top stories. Facebook is reportedly working to integrate its Oculus VR workouts into Apple's health app. According to Bloomberg, Oculus users will be able to sync data such as the number of calories burned during a workout with that health app. 
A new study finding that antibodies from Sinovac's COVID vaccine they lose their effectiveness six months after the second shot for most recipients. The results, which have not been peer-reviewed, also revealing a third shock did have a strong booster effect. And Goldman Sachs making new moves into the world of crypto. According to reports, it's followed an application with the SEC for an ETF that would offer exposure to public companies in decentralized finance and blockchain around the globe. Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Chinese tech stocks coming under heavy pressure for a third straight session. Alibaba, Tencent, Metwan among the biggest decliners as investors react to new regulations from Beijing, impacting everything from apps and food delivery platforms to property and for-profit education companies. Tencent down 9% after its WeChat instant messaging platform suspends registration of new users to undergo a technical upgrade to, quote, align with relevant laws and regulations, end quote. And check out the Hang Seng Tech Index, down 8% today, the biggest one-day drop since the index, index launched last year. Now, let's talk more about this with Duardic McNeil, Senior Policy Analyst at Longview Global and a CNBC contributor. Duardic, thanks for being here. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me. So I think here in the U.S., a lot of us are looking at uh, some of this tech crackdown over in China, scratching our head just a little bit. Can you talk to us first about the biggest issue for Chinese regulators and how big of an impact, something that we talk about a lot here in the U.S., data privacy is playing in all this? Yeah, good question, Frank. Look, when this began back in November of 2020, most people thought that this was a Jack Ma issue. But if you recall, the regulators called in over two dozen tech companies for tea, as they call it. And what they really wanted to focus on was how these companies are being run at home. There were large consumer protection issues. But what we've seen since November is that national security and data security has become extremely important to the Chinese government. And they are very concerned, Frank, about the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act. The Chinese fear that that data, once these companies have to open up their books under this particular U.S. law, that somehow sensitive data would fall into the hands of the national security establishment. Now, Frank, there are no reasons to believe, based on that law, that this will happen, but the Chinese are certainly fearful of that. And then finally, I would say that these companies have become so ubiquitous in the lives of Chinese citizens, so much so that some in the Communist Party believe that these companies could rival the influence and power of the party and that's just not going to happen under Xi Jinping. So one thing that I think we can really relate to in the U.S. are, at least the, from the government, inflation concerns. Can you kind of talk to us about how concerns about inflation and increasing consumer prices in China are kind of fueling this crackdown? Yeah, well, on this particular point, Frank, I want to focus on the crackdown on the education sector, because here <clears throat> price becomes a real prohibitive factor for parents who are looking to educate their kids in a very, very tough education environment in China. And many of these companies were really price gouging on the services. And there were some questions about the value of these services. And so the Chinese government, who also has a goal, as you know, Frank, to increase their population, to have more uh, families having kids, uh, this was just not going to happen with the price of housing and the price of education. And so the government, in addition to all those other reasons that they're cracking down on other tech companies, have focused on this sector largely because of price inflation and gouging. 
So one other thing I really thought was interesting um, from your research is that the Chinese government's actually concerned about these companies simply becoming too powerful and maybe rivaling the power of the Chinese Communist Party. But at the same time, China's an emerging economic power trying to rival the U.S. as an economic power when it comes to things like tech. So how is the, the Chinese Communist Party trying to balance these two different, you know, what seem to be conflicting goals? Yeah, that's a very good question. A lot of people, investors in particular, have made the calculation that because of the tech war, the pending tech war, the competition between the U.S. and China, that regulators will only go so far with some of these companies. And I say that's not how we should look at this. The Chinese believe that they have to do whatever they need to do to get these tech companies under their control so that they can be prepared for a long-term struggle with the U.S. in this particular space. And a lot of these companies have become extremely dependent on U.S. capital markets, and that's a concern for Beijing. So I think we should still expect that there will be vigorous competition in the tech sector, but that the tech sector in China will march to the beat of the Communist Party drum, and that's what we're seeing happen here. Now, something we're certainly going to watch. We're seeing some Chinese tech stocks taking a pretty big dip over the last week or so. Duarte McNeil, we appreciate the insight as always. On deck, investors turning their attention to the Fed's latest policy meeting. Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. economist lays out whether tapering could increasingly be on the tongues of those central bank chiefs. And if you haven't already followed our podcast, just go ahead and do it. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Investors gearing up for several key economic reports out this morning. This is the Federal Reserve kicks off its latest policy meeting amid the growing economic threat presented by the Delta variant. For much more, let's bring in Ellen Zentner, Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. economist. Ellen, thanks for being here. Hi, good to be here. Thanks. So, you know, we got to look ahead to that Fed meeting that kicks off today. Um, what are you expecting? How much or any talk are you are you forecasting when it comes to tapering? Um, do you think that the Fed's going to give us any insight into any discussions about tapering? And if we see any insight or any actual acknowledgement that they're thinking about tapering, does that automatically lead to one of those taper tantrums? Or do you see something else happening in the markets? Yes, I think they've been walking us pretty methodically toward the expectation that they are going to have that more robust discussion uh, about their balance sheet and about when and how uh, they might begin to taper their asset purchases. Uh, so I think a surprise uh, tomorrow when we get the statement and Chair Powell's press conference would be if he said we did not talk about it. I think that would be a big dovish surprise, if you will. But while we expect him to say, yes, we had a discussion about the balance sheet, I don't expect him to give any uh, more granular details about how those discussions went, with the exception of just saying that we're discussing a number of options. We've not made any decisions yet. Um, and we'll continue to discuss them um, in the coming uh, months and meetings. So, Ellen, we continue to see the impact of the Delta variant when it comes to a public health standpoint, rising hospital cases, um, a lot of concern about whether or not people who have been vaccinated will be you know, protected from this variant. But when it comes to the market, the impacts really seem muted, at least since last Monday. We saw that big dip. The market's having their worst day in nine months last Monday. Since then, we haven't seen as much of an impact. 
Is the Delta variant, is that a variable that might influence the Fed's decisions? So certainly if it were to uh, create uh, a, a surge in hospitalizations, death rates, if we started to see state and local governments talk about rolling back some of the opening up. And in particular, if there was uh, if there started to be talk that we were not going to reopen schools fully, then I do think that that would be a concern for the outlook. I would be concerned. I think the Fed would be concerned, too. We're not there yet. Um, and in the statement itself from the FOMC, they do state that the outlook depends greatly on the path of the virus uh, and that it remains a risk to the outlook. I still think that that very generalized statement is appropriate and something that Chair Powell will remind folks when asked about in the Q&A that they already have COVID listed as one of the risks. So I think that's that's appropriate. You talk about markets. You know, I do think that if you look at the 10-year yield today, we do believe that markets are not as optimistic in the outlook or they're more worried about uh, hits to the outlook like the Delta variant than, say, we are and, say, the Fed is uh, currently, that that seems a bit overdone. You know, while we're talking about bond yields, um, obviously we've seen the 10-year fall from at least a month ago. I think about a month ago, was, the yield was about 1.48. This morning, it's down about at least, I think, what, 20 basis points away from there. Um, how much of, of the Fed's decision today do you see impacting the 10-year bond yield at least? And do you have a price target for that yield by the end of the year in the current situation we are now, knowing what we know today? Yeah, so our rate strategists are expecting 180 on the 10-year yield by the end of the year. Now, it is a substantial move from here, but again, they do believe that the drop in the 10-year yield reflects uh, the market being a bit too pessimistic on the outlook and that the market is starting to discount any action by Congress later this year in terms of an infrastructure package. We still believe that package is, is coming. So I think there's too much pessimism, pessimism built into the market. What I expect from the FOMC tomorrow um, is a quite optimistic take on the current conditions of the economy. Just as we saw in the Beige Book, that document that's prepared ahead of the meeting, uh, laying out the current conditions across the economy. It described economic growth as robust. It's been quite some time since the Beige Book has described the economy as being robust. So I think that's going to come across as very optimistic in the statement. And I think Chair Powell is going to remain optimistic on the outlook, including that hope he still holds out, which I think is legitimate, that we would get a bump in labor supply as we go into the fall. So, Ellen, we're almost out of time. We've got to get going. But I want to ask you one question about inflation. Um, are you still the opinion that it's transitory? We saw big jumps in the CPI not long ago. Do you still believe inflation is trans transitory? And are we still on track to meet the Fed's target of about 2%? Yeah, so I think that a good amount of it, not all of it, but a good amount of it is transitory. We are still looking at the underlying pickup in pressures, particularly shelter inflation, like rents, owner's equivalent rent. But we do think most of it is transitory. I think that with the Fed's new framework to delay monetary policy actions for so long in this cycle gives them the best chance ever to reach that sustained 2% goal that they're looking for. All right, Ellen Zenner, we appreciate the insight as always. Thanks for being here. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange Squawk Box. Coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 